I'm Kieran Valley, and I'm Kate Valley, and this is Friday Night at Blockbuster, the podcast where we look back at movies from the 2000s. Uh, before we get into this week's movie, I would like to issue an apology based on the story, my Mean Girl story from last week. Did you catch some slack from your friends? Yeah, I have. I was uh, lambasted the other night. We were all together. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they corrected my version of events. What I will say is you asked me if I had ever been involved in those conversations or in those things like the mean girls do. And I, I said, no, because I was a guy, I was never involved in that sort of world of, of young women or whatever. And so like, my version of events only takes of that story only takes place literally the day that it happened because I didn't know about anything beforehand. And so, you know, they, they, they said, had I known that my, my, the, my telling of the story may have been a little different, Okay, but, um, I, I stand by everything I said. So. I thought you were about to say that you were actually at the center of the whole story and that you were the one that caused all the problems. So no, no, you were the Regina George no. of it all. The statute of limitations has not lifted on that. So I will not be confessing to that, but yeah, uh, apparently what I said was mildly incorrect, although you know, from where I'm sitting, I, I think it was, I think it was fine. So, okay. um, beyond that, Kate, we're one week into your Godfather challenge. We don't need to get into it cause we'll, we'll do it all next week, but like, are you going to finish? So I've watched two of the three. Okay. So, okay. So I got one left. I've got one left. Yeah. If nothing else, if I'm set a challenge, I always try and complete it. So as best as I, as best I can. So yeah, two out of the three, I'll, I'll leave my reviews for next week. Leave, we'll, we'll get into sort of quick rapid fire stuff next week, but all three, but, uh, okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. I, I'm happy to hear that. So, you know, you, you weren't able to finish the book for next week's episode, no. but, but, uh, you'll, you'll at least finish the Godfather challenge. Yeah. So that's, you know, 50%. We'll, we'll call that a pass. Should we move on to the movie this week? Do you have anything to to talk about? Do you have any updates? No, just that I've actually been watching other movies than just for the podcast this week. So, well, what have you been watching? So, we watched The Guest last night. Oh, like the like the sort of horror action. Yeah, movie? yeah. Um, I cannot believe you gave it a three. <laughs> you gave it a three out of five. Oh, why? Well, this think is like... low. I think that might be actually low. I might have to revisit that. You think that's, you want to give it a higher score? Yeah, yeah. Oh my, it's like a one and a half. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know if we were watching the same movie. I'm I guess very with, Dan, with Dan Stevens? Yes. Yeah, it's so fucking great. It's awful. It's so much fun. It's so bad. The 80s synth score and he comes home and he just starts wrecking shit. It like, made me a fan of his. You're, you're, you're biased because you know him from Downton Abbey and he's probably and this like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. He's probably this like posh, proper, yes. you know, gentleman who gives a shit about that. I, I want him being a psychopath with guns. I, we were watching last night and I just couldn't get over him. He, the like, every once in a while he would stare down into the camera and then, like, kind of say something. And we were just like, "What? who is teaching you how to act right now? 
and like the main girl as well couldn't stand her. Mike, Mike Moreau, <laughs> yes, screen queen herself. <laughs> like Absolutely. just oh, it was awful. No, so no, when I saw wrong. your resu- your score, I was like, I don't know who's got it wrong here, but it's not me. Three three is actually maybe a little low. I should go back and revisit. Well, I don't know why I gave that a three. The speaking of all this now though. I remember one movie that you did watch this week and you gave it just a criminally low score. I almost like, like beyond the Coppola stuff, beyond some of the other things you said, it was this movie and this score where I was just like, who am I podcasting with? Like, do I need to, Oh, I know which one now do I need to revisit I for- this. I forgot which one. I so was. do you want to, do you want to say the movie? Do you want to say what, what score you gave it? So I'm not ashamed, but I gave goon, a one star and it only got one because I actually finished it. So like, yeah, that's just wrong. That's just the wrong score. Like everyone's entitled to their opinions, but that's wrong. That's it was terrible. It was so bad. What I need like about goon. It just hit. He's dumb. And I know he's supposed to play a dumb (laughs) hockey player. I get it, but I couldn't stand watching him. It was terrible. We watched um, Godfather, Goon, and then another Godfather, and then Guest the last week. And Mom looked at me and she's like, "We need to find a movie that like you're really gonna love." Because like you're just you're kind of you're also stuck in the G section <laughs> yeah. of the movies. Like there's 25 <laughs> other letters there, but like yes, he's he's dumb. His character is dumb, but like he's so endearing. He's so sympathetic because all he wants is to like try his hardest. And help the team win. He's dumb. Um, the person that actually probably drove me nuts the most was his friend, the guy who actually wrote the movie. I could I could not stand him. If I could have removed somebody from every scene, it would have been him. <laughs> the wise cracking Mick best friend? Yeah, no, I don't need that. Jay Barishall? <laughs> like what, what? Do you not like to have fun with your movies? Do you not like when, you know, they're all having a good time? Do you just sit there like, ooh, this, oh, I like this, oh. Like, Sometimes, if oh. the movie's not good. Oh, my God. For, for the record, I have Goon is a four-star movie. <laughs> Goon might be the best hockey movie of all time. It's up there with Slapshot. There's debates either way. Goon might be the best. No, it was awful. It was bad. It was so bad. That is, what, an hour and a half out of my life that I'm never going to get back. Well, you never get any time back. So, you know, deal with it. I don't know. (laughs) It's like I said, Darwin, shit happens. I Ching, just roll with it. Improvise. Um, So that is a little insight into the movie that we will be talking about this week. Yep. Which is uh, Michael Mann's 2004 movie. We're going back to December 17th, 2004. And that is the night that we could have, and again, I probably might have rented Collateral, starring Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise. And uh, Kate, take it away. Plot description for anyone who hasn't seen it for Collateral. So Collateral follows Tom Cruise, who plays Vincent, and Jamie Foxx, who plays Max. I would argue it's kind of 50-50 on who's it's the a, lead. It's more of a it's more of a two-hander than yeah, anything else. I wouldn't yeah. say one was more main character than the other. So it does follow both. Um Jamie Foxx's character Max is a cabbie in LA and picks up a fair who happens to be Tom Cruise. 
And Tom Cruise kind of looks at him and says, I'll give you, I think it's $500 or something. And you're my cabbie for the night. Jamie Foxx says, nope, can't do that. And he's like, well, like, let's make it 600 then. I've got five stops. You bring me to those stops. You bring me back to LAX and we're quits. And this is great. And so Max is kind of like, sure, I'll do it. It's, we should also say, like, they have a conversation. Vincent figures out that it's about double what yeah. Max would normally make in a night. And yeah. so for Max, it's sort of like, you know, yes, it's breaking the rules, but fuck it. Like, you why know, not? Why not? Because he's got this big dream of opening up his own limousine business. Yeah. Right? So, sure, for the money, I'll do it. So he brings him to the first stop. I think Tom Cruise says he's doing a real estate deal or something and visiting friends. So they go to a first stop at an apartment building. And then, you know, a body falls out of the sky. So... (laughs) And we're off. And we're pretty much off. Because up until that point, you're kind of sitting there being like, what? Like, what's the story? Trying to figure them out. And then that happens and you're like, oh, okay, this is what's happening now. So it that gets revealed that Tom Cruise's character is an assassin, a uh, hitman, and has roped J.B. Fox's character now into it. And they end up going to all five stops. Yep, they hit all five stops. Right? Yep, yep, um, yep. And so... It, give, it gives the whole movie like a nice structure of like, you know where we are because... You know, we, we go to the five yeah. different places. Yeah. And so you start to kind of piece together how are all these guys connected? Um, why is Tom Cruise hired to pull out these hits? Um, and then we also get a character, Mark Ruffalo, who is the cop or detective um, chasing after these guys, like trying to piece together why these bodies are suddenly appearing in yeah, LA that night. Well, yeah, like the first the first person that Tom Cruise kills, although he says he doesn't kill him, he says the bullets in the fall killed him. He yes. Just, he just shot him, uh, which is like an NRA talking point, but we, we'll move past that. Um, yeah, Mark Ruffalo is the, is the police officer, the detective, whatever, who that is his confidential informant. Yes. And so he was coming to check on him, found the crime scene, and then was like, what the fuck's going on. And then, you know, as we reveal more information with who Tom Cruise is going after that night, we realize it's like, it's all these witnesses in a huge prosecution case or whatever, um, against, uh, against a cartel. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and then the police are sort of being like, well, fuck, where are the rest, where are the rest of these witnesses? Cause we need to get to them before whatever happens gets to them. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think for that point, it takes the police two or three of them to kind of piece it together. Yeah. Well, like, I think it does a pretty good job, too, of, like, the first guy um, doesn't seem like he might have been that big of a deal. Like, he seems like he's a kind of maybe a low-level person. Like, the the apartment that he's living in, the the, like, the neighborhood that he's living in certainly doesn't feel sort of, like, high-powered. Yeah. And so... You know, first of all, they don't have a body, so they don't know that the guy's dead. For like, you know, he has Mark Ruffalo has an idea, but he, they, there's no proof that he is dead, so they don't really know what's going on. And it, it is only after the second, I think it's the second person, is is murdered that they're just like, oh, he's so and so, and he was on this case that my CI was a witness to, like, and then they start to piece it. Yeah. Together, you know, what I mean, then they start to like, oh shit, what's going on here? So. The night goes on. They hit all five stops. Um, 
and yeah, do you want to just keep kind of? Well, wait, I do I just want to dive in. Do I just want to know, like, I have a guess and I have an assumption here, but is this your first Michael Mann movie? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. So you've never seen anything like Heat or Thief or anything like this? No. No. Okay. So. And Heat's your. He he would be. Is he one of your favorites? Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it's, yeah. It's I would say it's like tied for my favorite movie ever. Um, when people actually ask me to like nail Pick down one. on one movie, it tends to get pushed to second. But um, yeah, he he is probably like I. Michael Mann I think has directed eleven movies. Let me let me look that up. Yeah, he's he's directed twelve movies. One was a TV movie, and. Um, I would say that like there's probably nine of his twelve movies that I just like flat out love. Like Michael Michael Mann is one of my favorite filmmakers. Okay, and we'll get into maybe why and things that he does, but he is certainly not. He does not make movies that you I think would be rushing out to see. No, I enjoyed it though. I thought it was really good. You, um, you enjoyed Collateral. I really enjoyed it. I think I gave it like a three and a half or a four, which is pretty good for me. Um, I enjoyed that Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx's character was 50-50. You get invested on both of them and why, why are they both doing what they're doing? So like, why has Jamie Foxx said yes to this guy, even though he's breaking the rules? And then you find out Jamie, I think, says some line about whatever he's going to do, he wants to do the best he can or something. Um, and then I kind of picked up that like, he does that. He follows that line then two or three times throughout the movie. So, like, he's the best cabbie he wants to be. The cab's always clean. The cab, like, always looks nice. So, that's that's a Michael Mann thing. Like, my <laughs> all of Michael Mann's movies, with maybe the exception of one, all of his characters are, like, they're the best at what they do. Yeah. Irregardless of what it is, they're the absolute best. And what he loves showing you is how how they've become the best and it's usually through like meticulous detail so he will show you like seemingly mundane details of these characters but they all build up into a like oh these people just live their lives by like a very strict routine and that's why they're the best at it and so like in this movie like normally a lot of his movies are like cops and robbers or things like that and so you can you you know the details are kind of fun where it's like you get to see, uh, like in in Thief, it's about a safe cracker, and so it's sort of like he shows you how to basically crack a safe. <laughs> like he will, he'll put it all on screen, and you know, so like those details are sort of like compelling and engaging. In this movie, what's fun is that it's a taxi driver. Max yeah. Max drives a cab, but he will show you, like, yeah, he religiously cleans his cab. He knows all the routes. He knows you know, how to get from the one side of the city to the other side. That's what I enjoyed. The quickest, because he knows, because for Max, that is important. Yeah. Because he wants to be the best at this. That's what I noticed as well, like, in very quickly, the start of the movie starts with him picking up fares. The one is a couple fighting. Yeah. He kind of just sits there and just doesn't engage. He looks at his island. He looks at his little island. That's his little escape, but he doesn't engage with them. He doesn't kind of make any facial expressions, anything like that. The next fair then is, uh, we didn't mention her at the start, Jada Pickett-Smith is in this, and he picks her up, and she needs to get to her uh, office downtown, and she says to go whatever street to whatever, whatever. Yeah, she gives him a route because she's 
which it's such a small little thing, but you obviously you get the sense that like she has been here before. She comes maybe quite often and she has maybe been dicked around by cabbies before. Yeah. And so now she tells them the route to take so that she knows like, okay, this is the most efficient way. Or at least this is how much it's going to cost me yeah, every yeah. time. Or every whatever. time this should be. And so yeah. I enjoyed that because I was just like, oh, I there are people out there in the world who definitely do that. Oh, yeah. And like oh, I've seen sure. this, that character in other movies. And for him to kind of come back and say, actually, this street's going to be terrible right now. Let's go this way to this and then I'll do that. And she's like, well, like, what's the bet? <laughs> yeah. And so, like, yeah. that little interaction between them was really fun. And so, to kind of continue on of him just being the best whatever he is, once he gets brought into this world a bit or forced into it, I guess, he has to pretend to be Vincent at one point. And you are kind of sitting there being like, Jimmy Fox, what are you about to do? Like, you don't know what to do. And then he kind of turns it on being like, well, if I'm going to pretend to be Vincent, I'm going to be the best fake Vincent there is. Yeah. So like, let's. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. And... and like, you know, we can sort of jump around here a little bit, but I think that's one of the things that I love about this performance by Jamie Foxx. So like this year is the year that he played Ray Charles and won the Oscar for Ray Charles, but he was also nominated for this movie. Oh, and did not know that. I love him in this movie because you do get to see this this transformation in him where it's like even though he takes such pride in being the type of cab driver that he is he is quite meek he is like he he's kind yeah. of you know he he's not a very strong character but what you see over the course of the night with vincent is there's all these little moments where max is forced to like come out of his shell a little bit and the more that he does that, you can see Jamie Foxx sort of like grow in stature a little bit. And it all culminates in that scene where he does have to go in and pretend to be Vincent um, to meet the people that hired him. And he's like, at first, you know, obviously nervous, obviously like unsure of himself yeah. as you would be. But then he's sort of like, no, the only way to to pull this off, to convince them that I am this killer is to like flip a switch and just go for it and just go for it. And but by that stage, there's been enough sort of like baby steps along the way that you're sort of like, yeah, you're right. You can do this. Like, you know, you've done other things already, so you can definitely do this. You just sort of need to believe in yourself to do it. And for me, by that point too, him and Vincent aren't friends. I would never say they were friends, but had started to share things about themselves so yeah, well, okay, keep going, bit, keep going. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. so that he knew certain things. So, like, I think at one point he says, "Well, I've been doing this for six years." Yeah, and, yeah right. Yeah, so, like, yeah. he knew enough little details about Vincent the character to kind of make it almost believable in such a way. So, well, yeah, like they def. I would say that the two of them, obviously, over the course of the night, like it is large parts of the movie is literally just the two of them in a cab yeah. talking, and so. I would say, and I would agree that there's like a bit of a bond, a bit of a like camaraderie that they do build together. I would very much sort of push back on anyone who's like, Max is learning things about Vincent because I don't think Vincent tells Max the truth at all. Oh no. Like I wouldn't believe a word that Vincent says in this entire movie. Um, so yeah, like they're definitely, 
but I, I again, I think it is mostly like a confidence thing of like, you know, has Max been doing it for six years or has Vincent been doing it for six years? Like maybe, True. maybe, but he could have been doing it for 20, but like these people don't need to know that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's just the way that you answer that question or, or give that information of like, yeah, I've been doing it for six years. They'll either believe you or they won't. And yeah. it's, it's more about how you say it. Right. So we can't really keep going without talking about Tom Cruise because your favorite man like in movies yes maybe potentially <laughs> but like what did you think of him as vincent uh and like what did you think of the whole character sort of in general and stuff like that like were you surprised at how ruthless he actually was so the first thing that caught me off guard was him with the gray hair yeah and, and it's like a look. it's such a good look the gray hair and the gray suit again <laughs> like if I can get you to watch more Michael Mann things, that's such a Michael Mann thing. Where it's like, really, everyone wears black, blue, or gray suits. Okay, that's it because it's it's all about like like efficiency. And so like his characters aren't going to wake up in the morning and and question like what am I going to wear today? They probably only have three suits, which are black, blue, and gray. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? And so it's like because what they dress like first, I don't want to say what they dress like isn't important because it is important. But it's only important in terms of being like, they just want to blend in. They don't okay. want to stand out. And so the best way to do that is to just like be monochromatic. And I would argue Vincent does a good job at that. Like he kind of just blends in. He's supposed to be a hitman. Like, like he's not going to draw attention to himself. <laughs> so, so like he's not fancy. He's not renting his own car to drive yeah. between hits. Like he is just taking a cabbie well, and stuff. We could jump okay. a bit. But like, did you, do you know why he picked the cabbie? Do you know why he's taking a cab? The whole night to do these hits. Well, because he frames a cabbie, right? Yeah. So, so the, at a previous yeah. in a previous town. Yeah. He does hits. I have a note being like Vincent killed a previous cabbie? Question yeah. mark? Question mark? Yeah. So this is this his, is his mo. This, this is, is his thing. thing. Yeah. Okay. So like, at the end of the night, he would have killed Max, and they would have had Max going to all these stops and killing people, and they would just assume that he had lost it. And, just a random. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so. Tom Cruise as Vincent, the gray hair when, cause I think you see him first and you see him like pretty, pretty briefly, pretty briefly. I also love a classic briefcase swap. Yeah. Like that's how this movie starts. Love those. Cause... Just like a, a classic, like an actual cameo <laughs> per uh, appearance by Jason Statham. Like he's yes. in this movie for quite literally 30 seconds. I thought he would come back. No. Yeah. I kind of, I was kind of expecting to see him. Somewhere, I was like, maybe Tom Cruise meets up with him again or something. But yeah, I, I, I don't like. I've always kind of wondered why he's in the movie at all because by by two thousand and four, he was a a bit of a name. Yeah, like he wasn't this little actor in Guy Ritchie movies anymore. Like he had kind of come over to Hollywood, and so I do wonder if he was maybe just had a meeting with Michael Mann, and Mann was sort of like, yeah, I've got quite literally a thirty second part. If you want it, it's yours. Yeah, because like it could have gone to a nobody and it would have had and, the same. Yeah, <laughs> the, he has like one line and yeah. he has to drop a briefcase, but he gets to hang out with Tom Cruise. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, so love a classic briefcase swap. Um, I actually really enjoyed Tom Cruise as the villain. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought he did a good job. Part of it's because I would know him in kind of these action roles. So 
him doing jumps and spins and falling over things and, and pulling running. Things and, and running. running. Yes. So the running scene happens about halfway through or three quarters of the way through. And I was sitting watching this movie with mom and she's like, ah, there's the Tom Cruise. There's running. the run. There's the run. She knows now. She knows now. Um, but so it's such a good run. That's the thing. Like, why would it, if you ran like Tom Cruise, why wouldn't you run at every opportunity? It is like so rigid, but also like you can tell that he is running. Like yes. in a lot of movies, the actors aren't really giving running. it. The, They're not give, giving it a hundred percent. Yeah. He is giving it 150%. Like, he is fucking sprinting. And you need to keep up with him. And it's like, oh, every but, movie. Every movie. So, like, for me, because I've seen him in these action roles and I've seen him do various things like this, it wasn't so out of the box for me or so uncomfortable to, for me to watch him in that. Like, in comparison to the Dan Stevens earlier, being this kind of bad guy... I only know him as good roles. So, like, that was uncomfortable for me to watch. Um, this one, he was comfortable. Yeah, he's the villain, but he's still doing the same things that he does now in Mission Impossible and all of his other things. So, it is it is a shame because he, like, yes, he, he, I can see what you're what you're getting at in terms of, like, you know, in this movie, he's, he's doing a lot of action stuff. Um, and he's, like, more than credible at, like, the gun stuff. Like, yeah. the, apparent, the, the, the scene where he um does like the quick fire on the two thieves who are trying to rob his briefcase um apparently like they do show that to people training because it's like it's so perfect and so quick and it's so perfect that's like that's I, the best form there is sort of thing i think my only question about that particular scene is what hitman doesn't have a silencer on his gun because he shoots those two guys and there's no silencer. Yeah. So why? Yeah, he doesn't have one. Though. Maybe, maybe because. <laughs> but he does like, later. So when does he have it later? I think he has a silencer on other guns, or like later in the movie, another gun. I think he has a silencer, just not on those. Oh yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. Uh, like, <laughs> I would I would say like the gunfire thing. That's again like Michael Mann in Heat is quite famous for having this shootout scene where. It's like the most realistic sounding gunfire. And it's be like normally what they do is when a gun is fired in a movie, they change out the sound for oh. like a stock gunfire. Like they're not recording that gun. Oh, okay. They don't use that recording because it's way too loud. So like you can't really use it if you're going to have, you know, dialogue or music yeah. or whatever. You, you can't really use that sound so they, they they put in sound for that what he did in heat was they it, it was this shootout scene in downtown la and so like there's all the tall buildings and so there's all this echo and reverb and stuff like that and he took it all out they put you know the sound back in from other recordings and they're just like this doesn't feel the same like when they were there filming it they're like this felt terrifying this felt so real and it's because it was deafening like the sound was so loud and so they're like take it back out and put the original sound back in and now that scene is like one of the most famous scenes in movies because it is so fucking loud and it is like like it is the climax of the movie and like it is so terrifying because it's like this is what a shootout would probably sound like and so now you know it puts you in that mind and there's nothing like that in this movie but that scene 
like that's maybe one of the louder gunshots in the movie and i think it is a bit of a like you know i've done it once i'm not fucking around now like, yeah we're just gonna record the sound of a gun going off sort of yeah. thing so i think the thing with tom cruise taking the villain role though is that he he hadn't really done it before and he hasn't done it since where he's like a pure villain he sometimes True. plays characters where they're a bit sort of gray, gray yeah but ultimately like i know why he hasn't done it i think it's like an ego thing yeah he, he doesn't want to be the bad guy um but like that, i think that's what makes this movie even more special is that he did it and he's so good at it like he's pretty chilling in certain scenes as vincent where he's like kind of nice kind of chill and then again that flip is switched and he's just like gunning people down you're like holy fuck dude i think the one that sticks out in that kind of switch the scene that sticks out for me is i think it's the third one the jazz club the jazz club yeah because i i I honestly at one point they say oh we're ahead of schedule let's go let's go let's go have a drink let's go have a drink and stuff and i was like okay like weird but are we, sure. gonna, are we gonna take a down moment here? Like yeah. I yeah. was like, maybe we're just having we can't be at a hundred the whole movie, so maybe this is just quite literally they're gonna go have a drink. Max is gonna think he's can like sneak out, and Vincent's gonna be like, nope, let's go on to the next one and move on. So I, that's what I thought was gonna happen, and then when the switch happens, and it's the I think he's the jazz leader. He's the, the band. He's the owner of the club. The ban- the he's owner? the owner of the club. Yeah, he was he was performing as well, but he is yes. the owner. Yeah. Um. And he's talking to him and he kind of says something. And then all of a sudden the guy's face changes and you're just like, oh, no, like, come on, not him too. But that's (laughs) like, he's, that's his thing. Like, he's so like ruthlessly focused and efficient where it's slightly like, yeah, he like, he knows how to play Max. That's the other thing. Right. And so like, he knows that, all right, they've been to two places. Max has kind of seen him murder three or four people at the stage yeah like he needs to chill max out a little bit he needs to you know matt like max knows the deal but he's also like literally has a gun pointed to his head at this point yeah um but he does need to like chill max out a little bit and so he's like yeah let's you know there's a good jazz club around here let's go have a drink and they chill out and like they're there for a while because they watch a performance and then they do have a conversation with the owner and like if you watch tom cruise like he's watching to make sure that the bar empties and like he doesn't say anything until everyone is gone and that's when he's like all yeah. right let's get this done and let's get out of here yeah. <laughs> like oh it's so good it's so good <laughs> i just think like as much as i love the mission impossible movies and i love um a lot of the other things that he's done like i think vincent is maybe the best character tom cruise has done had or done yeah. or acted in in the last like 25 years like, yeah i would i would kind of agree the mission impossible stuff is fun but it's now all just stunts it's like at this point ethan is tom cruise like, like there's no differentiating between the two of them yeah so. like he it is his way of doing these fun stunts and various other things and i would even argue him kind of reprising the role in top gun is yeah. just him yeah. wanting yeah. to fly the planes again, yeah. right? So, like, it's just his outlet now to do these stunts and kind of get paid for it. Whereas this is him actually acting. Yeah, like, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is a character that probably has, like, 
nothing to do with Tom yeah. Cruise whatsoever. Whereas like, you know, the, the Ethan in Mission Impossible or, or Maverick in, in the Top Gun movies are like, they're kind of an excuse, like you were saying, to just be like, you know, let me go fly this plane. Like, yeah, sure. Oh, I'll, sure. I'll, yeah. Be, I'll be Maverick again. That's fine. And like, there, there, there is like, there is some good character work done in the, in the most recent Top Gun movie. Um, more so than like I was expecting and I was happily surprised by that. But like, yeah, like Maverick as a character and Tom Cruise as a person are like the Venn diagram is, is almost yeah. a perfect circle. Whereas <laughs> Vincent and Tom Cruise are like way off yeah. in different directions. So yeah, like it, it is always just, I, I just love his, his, his role in this. And, uh, one of the things I, I picked up this time watching it was that he is, prepping max as soon as he gets in the cab he's kind of a dick and he's kind of like off-putting to max and i and i think what was going on there was like he's testing max to be like is this guy gonna give it back to me a little bit because if he is then i can't really convince him to drive around while i kill five people but if he's this kind of meek you know yeah wallflower or whatever like you know I can railroad, I can like run him over a little bit and just dominate him. And that's what Max gives him. Like, you know what I mean? Like he that's asks, true. he probes Max for questions. He, you know, Max is like, yeah, this LA is my home city. I love it. And Vincent's like, yeah, I, I hate this city. This city sucks. And so he's like, you know, needling him just yeah. sort of, you know what I mean? And Max doesn't stand up for himself. And yeah, so that's and when the, he's like, okay, I got this guy. And was it at that point too, when Jamie Foxx kind of says that it's a temp job, but he's been in the temp job for 12, 12 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what I, what I, what I laugh to is like Tom Cruise doesn't really, he doesn't say anything at that point. He just like files it away because he then does bring it up later on where it's like, what kind of temp job is 12 years yeah. long sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's always taking the information in. Right. So, uh, we briefly brought her up and, you know, she only has a small scene at the beginning and then she's, a big part of the third act. Yeah. But uh Jada Pinkett Smith. Did not recognize her at all. Again, well, she probably wouldn't have been in many movies that you would yeah. have been running out to see. So like she's in like the Matrix movies and stuff like that. But yeah, like you probably would have known her Ave as Will Smith. That's Will I think that's wife. that's how I know yeah. her. And yeah. like the Jada Pinkett Smith in my head is the one that's actually on the Google cast thing. So the slightly older, the shorter hair. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. That's who I have in my head. Um, so yeah, I was thoroughly shocked when she appeared on screen. <laughs> but I, but I, I just like that, like, the movie knows and Michael Mann knows that, like, we need to kind of fall in love with her. We only get to see her for about five minutes, ten minutes at the beginning of the movie. We need to fall in love with her. Yeah. Because we're going to go about an hour and a half without her at all. But then the whole third act rests on the fact that, like, we want to save her. And I think they do it. I think they do a really good yeah. job of being like, this lady is pretty cool. And, you know, she has a bit of a back and forth and a bit of a flirtation with Max. And you're sort of like, I kind of buy it. Like, you know, do I think that they're destined for a long relationship? Like, not really. But at the same time, like, she seems super cool. She seems super nice. Um, she's like really impressed with Max, even though he's this like cab driver and she's a U.S. district attorney or whatever she is. Yeah. And you're you're sort of like, oh, like she seems genuinely pretty 
wonderful. And yeah, and they've lovely. got like like an easy banter kind of yeah. between the two of yeah. them. Yeah, and stuff like that. So yeah, when you get introduced to her, like Kieran said, like you get that five minutes, you do kind of fall in love with her, and then she leaves. And at some point in the movie, when they're talking about the hit people, and it's then revealed that she's number five, I was like, of course she's number five. Yeah. That's why we got yeah. introduced to her. Yeah. And they make you fall in love with her because she's the fifth one. And now Max is going to be like, not my girl. Not my girl. Exactly. <laughs> I think, I think like the, their whole thing though is like one of the, one of the things that I love, but is also like, Oh, he's not very good at it. Is like Michael Mann is like pretty bad with like dates. So like in many of his movies, his character goes on a date with oh, the really? love interest. And it's always like horrible. Like, and like intentionally so, but at the same time, it's like, can this guy not write or like, can this guy not direct a love scene, like, like a date scene, a date scene <laughs> and like two characters falling in love genuinely. But in this, like he does it like, yeah, they get about five minutes and they go through, you know, it's, it's a lot of surface level stuff. Like it's, they talk about music, they talk about, uh, their jobs, their dreams, things like that. And sort of like, you know, what, what do you, what do you do the day before a, a trial or whatever? And yeah. you know, they back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But like the relationship that they are setting up between these two, like Michael Mann also gives you that photograph of the Island and very efficiently is like, this is important to Max. This is very, very important to him. We only get, we only get it for about five minutes as well. And when he gives her that photograph so that she can go on her own private vacation, like he's saying, you know, 10 times a day, he goes on a little vacation. He just looks at this photograph. He gives it to her you realize like how important that is to him. And then when she gives him her business card and he puts the business card where the photograph was, you're like, Oh, that's, you know, like you're connecting dots now of like, it's like not the most subtle thing in the world, but it's like pretty effective. It's pretty well done. So. Yeah. I think the thing for me that was subtle about them, but also the introduction of Vincent where Jamie Foxx drops her off to her office. That's where he then picks up Vincent. Yeah. And only at the end, when we go back to the office, I was like, oh, because clearly Vincent was there casing the joint, kind of figuring out how to get in and stuff. And I was like, that, like, those little details I find quite clever. And, like, I enjoy when I pick them up in a movie. So I think he was like, yeah, he was probably coming from like the utility room and stuff where he eventually would go yeah. to cut power. And it's like, he needs to know where that is. So yeah. 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 No, I think uh, there's a lot of like pretty good work done to sort of set up all these relationships and, and whatnot. And then, um, yeah, we, we, he's got a small role. Like I, I love his, um, his slicked back hair and his mustache, but like Mark Ruffalo has like a pretty tiny role. Yeah. He, it's kind of made me sad because when I saw him come on, I was like, oh, cool. Because once again, I would know him from Marvel things, really. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll get to see him in something different. And then, yeah, you know. He doesn't make it to the end. He doesn't make it to the end. He doesn't make it to the end. But again, like, he sort of acts as this, like, potential hope throughout the movie. Like, there, there are a few moments throughout the movie where Max maybe has an out. Maybe has yeah. a lifeline to get away from Vincent. And Mark Ruffalo acts as, like, the big one. Like, you know, Mark Ruffalo doesn't believe that Max is the one going around killing people. So he's out to save Max, to find Max and figure out what's going on. 
the rest of the police and the FBI are sort of like, no, we think Max is lost, lost it up there and he's yeah. going crazy. But yeah, it's a, it, it is a, it is a gut punch when he finally catches up to Max and then Vincent immediately kills him. Um, but at the same time, it is like the catalyst for Max to be like, I need to do this. I need to save myself. I need to save myself, which then sets up the whole third act. I will say very briefly, because we've watched now a few movies where the cop turns out to kind of be a double agent or whatever. I did have a very sinking feeling when Mark Ruffalo's character does get to Max and gets him out of the club or whatever. And I was like, oh no, like maybe he's actually on Vincent's side or whatever. And so I was like, oh, don't be a bad guy. And then he gets shot. And I was like, yeah. I don't know now which is worse. <laughs> that would, but like... <laughs> yeah. I would have taken him as the bad guy. Please be the bad guy. So, but yeah, the thing, the little thing that I found, and I'm looking back over my notes, Max's mom is in hospital. We don't mention that because yeah. I guess every night when he's doing, he always does the overnight shifts. Um, He goes and visits her. She has a photo of Misha Barton. In Misha, her hospital. Why? I don't know. Oh. But there's a, fo- a little photo of Misha Barton. That's strange. 2004, she would have been like, that's probably OC age, Misha yeah. Barton. But yeah, I was like, I just made a note of it because it kind of stuck out when they panned around her hospital seat, like her hospital room. Maybe she's just a big OC fan. Yeah, maybe, but yeah. I was always a bit more into Summer Roberts, but you know. That's, Were you? That's, that's. <laughs> Fair enough. That, that's all right. I was actually, it was, Anna was. Uh, Anna was yours. I she, knew she, she was. was. She was number one, but uh, in real life, that actress has kind of gone off the deep end a little bit. So, oh, has she? Yeah, oh. that sort of ruins that. Um, the other thing about Collateral is that it falls into this strange kind of made up category of movies like called like the one crazy night movie. Like this whole movie takes place basically over one night. Um, you know, there's a little bit in the beginning of daytime, but I do wonder, like, do you enjoy movies that are like, they have this like built in clock of like, everything's going to happen in these set hours. And it's more or less going to be like a real time experience. You're going to follow these characters through, you know, a journey or whatever. And it's all going to be in night. Like it's going to take place over, over one night. Uh, I actually do. The thing I enjoyed about this one is if they had set this during the day, obviously he couldn't do all these hits, but they would have spent all their time in the cab trying to get between the two spots because they're in LA. So the fact that they set this at night. It's my, my literal biggest nitpick of this entire movie is like, I don't believe for a second <laughs> that they that got they to did, all these spots. They could have easily driven around LA and made five stops in one night. Like I've never been to Los Angeles, but everything I know about driving there is like, it's impossible. But I find it more believable because at night, it is at night. That's it's true. like midnight That's true. to six AM or That's something, true. right? Yeah. So I find it more believable than than any other time. But yeah, no, I do like kind of the one day, one night movies. Um, so like a couple that I have is like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Ah, that's a good one. That's a is, good one. Yeah. I always enjoy that one. Because once again, it's kind of believable. They are chasing a band. A band. Yeah, a concert. Um, they kind of then don't find out where it is. They think they've missed it. And then it's that mad rush when they do find it to get on. I think they get on like subways and drive and whatever yeah. else. Yeah. So like that one I love. Um, the Before series, yeah. which is one that I need to go back and rewatch because yeah. uh, I watched them probably be- 10 years ago. Before Sunrise is the only one that like takes place overnight. Yeah. 
but yeah, they all do take place like, you know, kind of a 24 a, here's hour. A, here's a few hours of these two characters just hanging out. And yeah. Like, yeah we're just so yeah, they're them. ones I need to go back and check out. And this now will get a patent cure on eye roll, everybody. Uh, but Valentine's Day and New Year's Day. I, I just like, <laughs> sure, they qualify. I fucking hate those movies. I hate any movie that's like, okay, you quite clearly came up with the title first and then just like figured it out after. And it's even doubly worse when it's like Christmas Day is the movie. And it's sort of like, oh, okay, great. Like, I guess we're just going to follow people on Christmas. Like, yeah. So I, I just enjoy it's those so two. Rent, but, yeah. I enjoy those two because I love the multiple storylines kind of weaving in and how characters end up kind of being in two or three and stuff like that. So, yeah. But those are like easy ones that, you know, they are on that day. <laughs> I, think, so. I think the, like, there's obviously comparisons or whatever between this and like, um, there's a Safdie Brothers movie called Good Times, which is like highly anxious and like you know it'll stress you right out and anyone who's seen uncut gems will know exactly what i'm talking about um after hours is this like weird scorsese movie from the 80s where it's like this guy quite literally just wants to have sex and he goes out because he thinks he's got a sure thing and like it just like doesn't happen and he spends the whole night either like trying to find somebody else to have sex with or trying to get away from other people who are like chasing him throughout the night and it's like so strange and pretty funny um something that like i can kind of relate because the, the thing about the like the one crazy night thing is that like i do think we've all had that experience where we do find ourselves out and about and it's after midnight it's after one it's after two in the morning and you're sort of like yeah this does feel like a journey like i don't know where i'm going you're probably like you're probably headed from one party to another party or like from the bar to a party you know what i mean and you're sort of like this does feel like a journey. Obviously, I'm not making five stops to kill key witnesses. Thank, but, you, thank you for saying that sentence. <laughs> well, of course, I would say it even if I had been True. doing it. But like, so the, the journey could be different for all of us. But at the same time, I think we've all had that experience. And so one that I was watching or that I've watched before that always comes up when I think of these things is uh, American Graffiti the the george lucas movie where it's like it's all these characters the night they graduate from high school and they're all just sort of like okay so like we we've, we've graduated like now what do we do and i remember the night of graduation just sort of being like i was out till eight o'clock the next morning and you're just sort of like and we went to two parties and you're like fuck like just keep shifting around like yeah and that's <laughs> that's definitely american graffiti so yeah i think the 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 like one crazy night thing the the sort of time constraint movies are, are they're pretty fun to watch because they do have this like momentum of like you're you're on a, you're on a time limit you need to keep the movie going at all times and and you know collateral definitely has that momentum yeah i would say i think it's what two hours i think it's just about two yeah i want to say in the two hour mark um and it doesn't it's really quick it like it does have a nice pace to it um where i was engaged for the two hours which is pretty good after a long day sometimes so well w one of the things i came across when i was i was reading about it afterwards was that somebody had said it, it has the like momentum of another movie's like third act like the third act when you're like ramping up the action to like hit a climax and stuff this whole movie feels like the third act of another movie 
that we're just like catching up to at the at the very very end and so i did want to actually ask because we are kind of dropped into the lives of these characters and we learn very little information about we learn almost no information about vincent we learn very little about max and like you normally don't enjoy that so like <laughs> when when it starts and we're just like off to the races a little bit here like were you sort of like i i really want max to you know talk about growing up with somebody or were you happy to be like no i don't i don't want my cab driver to talk to me um, a little bit of both. So I am a person who doesn't talk in cabs. I like just a silent car ride. Um, in the case of Vincent, though, once you realize he's a hitman, I was there being like, we're not going to get his backstory because that's him. Like he flies into a city, he does his hits, he leaves. You never get to know more about the guy and stuff. I, so like that, I, I understood. Yeah, the, the only information that you really learn about him is that he never meets the people who hire him. Yeah, that's kind of it. And so yeah. So him, I totally understood. Him, I totally understood. Max, I think I ended up just making a story up in my head for him. I just filled in his backstory. So once you find out he's been in it for twelve years, you they like I was there being like. It probably started off as a temp job. He probably yeah. got the job and was like, six months, I'll get some of the money I need and I can do my move or start my business or whatever and I'll be out. And like, I totally understand when you get into a job and you don't have anything else coming your way, you stick around. <laughs> you, yeah, your eye blinks and all of a sudden it's a year or two later. Yeah, I've and been stuff. there. I've been there. And so I could kind of, I just made up the story that his mom's in hospital. Clearly, she's not doing great. He needs the money. So he stayed in the job to get the money. That then means the dream job or his company that he wants to start goes to the back burner because his mom needs the money. So, like, I just started to make up yeah. a yep. story for him. And so, yeah. <laughs> do you have a, do you have a favorite kill? Do you have a, uh, one of the hits where you're just like, oh, fuck, that was awesome? Um... Probably the first one, because I think it shocked me the most. The one in the club annoyed me the most. Really? Only because, how did the people in the club not realize what was happening? It took them so long to react to, you know. Like, you mean like the regular people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. It took them so long to realize that, you know, guys are fighting and getting their nose broken and... Well, you've obviously but... <laughs> never been in nightclubs like that. But nope. The, uh, know, like... I went to the country bars. <laughs> <laughs> like, two two dudes fighting on the dance floor is not that uncommon. And then all of a sudden the guns start coming out. Yeah, and that, people, that's what people people, people are still dancing. No, no, no. Once the... Go back. Once, the, once they start firing the guns, <laughs> that's when people are like, oh, fuck, I need to get out of here. Like two dudes just punching each other. Pff, whatever, I'm not gonna let That's that. That's just a nah. regular night of I'm in, pest. I'm, I'm in the zone right now. I'm yeah. I'm dancing up a storm. I'm not breaking for anybody. What's your favorite? Mine is the nightclub. Is it? Yeah, because I love what I love about the nightclub is that's the scene where the the police all finally catch up to Vincent and Max, and the this happens after Max impersonates Vincent to the cartel. So they've sent people to the nightclub as well. And so all of these characters are finally like in the same spot together. And the thing that I love that Mike Mann shows you over and over in, in the nightclub is that they're all trying to get to the witness who's in like a booth in the back and everybody struggles to get through the crowded dance floor. Like nobody really makes any progress 
except Vincent, who's like a fucking shark cutting through water. Like he is just like a heat seeking missile. And like for whatever, he just wades right through and nobody stops him. Nobody gets in his way. And it is like, he's not there. Like he has this ability to disappear in the crowd. Yeah, then, I enjoyed then, that part of the then, club scene. But. Well, the, and then the other thing was, I love the music, which I know you probably didn't pay attention to. I made a note about the music this time, and I enjoyed, this is way at the beginning, when Max is in his cab, and it's classical music. Yeah. Uh, because you're just there being like, yeah, he's just an ordinary dude. Like, <laughs> It's just that cool groove. Yeah. So he, he, he keeps saying like a club experience, but the music that he plays yeah. is so sort of like... Oh, this is really calming. This is really like soothing, which like is better. But yeah, it, he what he says as his pitch for the limo company doesn't sound awesome to me. Yeah, it doesn't really line. A it doesn't sound awesome, and B doesn't really line up with how he's conducting the cab business. But the music in the nightclub. The reason I wanted to bring it up was: Do you recognize? Did you recognize the music in the nightclub? I don't think so. I don't remember it right now. So So the song that's playing in the nightclub, it's a Korean version, but it's the exact same song that is on the car chase scene in The Born Identity. It's Ready, oh. Ready Steady, Go by Paul Oakenfield. Oh. So it's the same song. And I so, don't think I knew. Or I, I don't think I picked up on that. It's just a, like, it's obviously like a great song to put an action <laughs> scene to because both of these movies... Like their central action scene is scored by this song. One's one's in Korean because we're in a Korean town nightclub. But yeah, it's just like, oh, what a coincidence. If we do another mailbag episode in the coming episodes or whatever, I want somebody to ask for you to pitch your favorite or like make the best action scene. The best, well, like. Because like you'd have that song playing. I'm sure you'd have Tom Cruise running. Like. Tom Cruise has to be running. Even if he's just in the background running. Even if he's not involved. He just needs to run through frame. Just to get, get the energy up. Is, it, is this you inviting a mailbag? Because people are going to ask you questions. Then. I know. I'm terrified. But yeah. What's, what's, your, what's your biggest missed movie? And we'd just be here for hours as you went through IMDb's top 250 or something. I don't know. Um, probably easier to ask me what movies i have watched yeah exactly than... <laughs> exactly uh any any anything else you want to say about collateral any, any last thoughts or opinions anything the only last thing that i enjoyed once again i when i pick up on things being repeated i enjoy it if i picked it up on my by myself so i think it's vincent tells the story about a dead guy who rides the train yeah. for six hours yeah and nobody notices because no it's a train and nobody talks to each other and then sure enough when he dies at the end he's just and, sitting on the train and he's left on yeah. the train i was like oh i love i love that so so for, first of all i've quite literally never sat on the train or subway since seeing this movie and not had the thought of is somebody dead here like <laughs> really qu- quick quick scan around and be like no nah, i think everyone's breathing okay we, we can keep moving on um but the other thing like you you haven't seen heat so you you know you can't you, you wouldn't know this, but um, he starts with Robert De Niro coming into Los Angeles on a train. And this movie ends with Tom Cruise going out of Los Angeles on a train. And so, you know, they're, they're not a sequel. They're not connected in really any way. But I think that is a little nod from Michael Mann to sort of be like, 
I've done this. I'm pretty good at this, guys. I've done this before. When is Heat set? Like, or sorry, what year was Heat? Heat was like 95. Oh, so like okay. a good like 10 years before okay. this. Yeah, yeah. 95, 96, I think Heat, Heat was. So yeah, yeah. Based yeah. off of us talking about it, would I enjoy Heat? See, I don't like. I don't. Should I check it out? I don't know. I, I like. It's one of my favorite movies. I think it is quite literally perfect. Like, I would change nothing about it. Now, it it is a three hour crime movie. Of, Why do movies have to be three hours or more? Why? Listen, listen. They're too had, long. No, we had three this, hours is too long. We, I'm sure we'll get into it next week when we're doing The Godfather because I'm sure that's where you're coming from. That's where you know you've PTSD or whatever, but. I did say to you that there's a quote, I think from Roger Ebert, where he was like, a good movie is never too long and a bad movie is never too short. And like, that is the thing about Heat. I have watched Heat so many times and I never, ever feel the three hours. I quite literally put it on and all of a sudden it's over. And so for me, the like, the pace and the energy is like always high, always cranked up. And so I never feel it. But at the same time, I do need, I feel the, need to preface for people who are for other people it's like it is three hours it is like two hours and 58 minutes like it is three (laughs) hours long so so maybe worth a watch but in a little bit post godfather possibly possibly (laughs) like the thing that helps heat out and like it's in this movie and like the good movies that have it you know it helps is like it is a cat and mouse movie almost from like the very beginning like it is quite literally about cops and robbers and we start with a heist and the cops are chasing the robbers the whole movie and stirred like you know they get close and then they you know something happens and they get far away and then they get close again and you know it's so, like that keeps the energy moving at all times there's not really any moments where it's like down okay so you know i i would unequivocally say everybody should watch heat but i know that it's it's certainly not a movie that is in your wheelhouse we'll say but i, I recently they they updated the stats page or whatever on letterbox that yes. i saw and i can now go in and see like nano genres and like the movies that i'm watching the most and stuff and so it's like it's not like drama or comedy it goes like even further oh, okay. in and you know surprise surprise my most watched genre is like crime robberies heist and it's like <laughs> yeah that that checks out that, that is fits that fits perfectly so yeah yeah, I, I would say I would say definitely check out Heat, but but maybe give give yourself a break post, post three God, hour movies. Godfather. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, if that's everything for collateral, I guess we can kind of tease next week, which you know, I think we've teased already once or twice before. I think but so. Next week, uh beyond your quick reviews of the three Godfather movies, we will be doing a Kira Knightley period piece movie, which Kind of doesn't limit it at all. Doesn't narrow things down at all. I was going to say, gives all. not one clue. But, not but, one. <laughs> uh, it's based on a literary classic. And uh, it's it's one that I've recently read and you've recently half read. Yeah. And so I think there'll be a bit of a bit of book talk corner as well. But uh, we'll be focusing mostly on the movie. Like, let's be real here. Yeah. So I think it's it's a pretty good adaptation, but we'll be focusing more on the movie. So... That will be next week. And so we will see everybody then. See you then.